0: You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's into the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. And featuring Keaton Derosier. Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and joining me for episode 277 of the show is Bob Osgood of OverTheMonster.com. Bob, welcome back to another episode of the show. We are playing a man down today. No Keaton DeRocher, but uh, you know, I, I think we're going to be able to to handle this situation shorthanded. How are you, how's your confidence level?
1: I feel confident we're going to miss Keaton, but you've put together just one hell of an agenda this week, Jake. A-plus, so I think we can handle it.
0: Well, thank you. Yep. This agenda uh, is loaded, as as Bob says, so we're going to get right to it. We we're, we don't have any time to waste. Nope. Um, right off the bat, Yu Chang, um, who had been the Red Sox starter at shortstop for the last couple of weeks, has gone on the IL with a broken handmate bone after you know, taking a swing that was uncomfortable, big hack. Um, As a result of this, the Red Sox have called up Emmanuel Valdez. Um, They're going to play Kike Hernandez at shortstop, um, and they're going to do some sort of platoon thing with Arroyo and Valdez at second base. Um, You know, not a good situation here. Um, This This actually happened the day after I dropped an article about the Red Sox uh, middle infield issues, and then this further exacerbated them. So, uh, Bob, let's do the kind of 30,000-foot view here. What's your reaction to uh, yet another issue in the Red Sox middle infield? Can we just take a step back and talk about
1: opening any episode of this show with Yu Chang news? And that's what it's, I mean, that that we're at a point where Yu Chang's injury is the top story, and it is, that was, that is the top story, because it's just another, one more hit and you put it all into your piece earlier in the week, and actually three weeks ago I wrote about the Red Sox defense kind of generally being a problem, and Having the lowest defensive run saved, and um, how most of that was up the middle and the middle infield, and there's been a couple things that have happened since since that point. So now Yu Chang is out, and it's not like he was lighting the world on fire. He was hitting 136. I mean, his slash line was 136, 174, 341. However, when this season started, and it felt like they were a man down up the middle. It was nine weeks that you needed to get through to get to um, Mondesi returning the last week of May. And then hopefully after that, Trevor Story returning. And then now I kind of had accepted the fact that four weeks had passed and you're only going to need to get through five more weeks. And Chang had played well. He had hit three home runs in eight games um, leading up to the injury. And he just was kind of hitting with more confidence and playing, he was making the plays at short. And I just was like, okay, we can we can deal with this for a month, um, get to Monty, And then once he went down, and I was actually driving, and as soon as the swing happened, um, I think it was Fleming said, that looks like a handmade injury. And I'm not going to speculate, but it looks like a handmade injury. And like when you swing and miss and kind of have that reaction, it seems to be that quite a bit of the time. So then it's just... All right, where do we go from here? And they called up Emmanuel Valdez, and he made an error in Tuesday night's game, where it was eight to one after eight innings, and I really felt, you know, normally I don't turn the game off, but I really felt safe that eight one going into the ninth would be okay. <clears throat> then I started getting some text messages that Kenley Jansen was coming into the game, and how the hell did it come to this? And it turns out that uh, Valdez couldn't catch a throw from the pitcher. And then this afternoon, in the first inning, he couldn't catch a soft line drive that would have been a double play that would have gotten them uh, two outs with nobody on in the first. And instead, it was first and third with nobody out. So this can't continue. This is shades of Franchi Cordero making three errors at first um, a year ago. You know, two errors on the same play. That like that's where it's heading if they continue to play. Um, this Hernandez-Arroyo-Valdez combination in the middle with nothing else. It's I don't know if a move is going to be made, but I really feel that they have to at this point because this is craziness. They're calling up somebody who can't um, make a routine catch at second base. He's not ready.
0: Yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, and, you know, I was a little surprised by some of the reactions to the Yu Chang injury, there was kind of a lot of chatter, like, Oh no, he's really coming into his own. He's really like performing well. He's breaking out. Like, you know, it was like, it was, it was a kind of a lot of, of Yu Chang hype here. Um, For a guy with three home runs and a 30 WRC plus, I hope people realize that a hundred is just league average in WRC plus. So, I mean, he, he wasn't good. He was fine defensively. Yes, we'll give you that. If you even want to say he was flashing some leather, sure. Okay. But, like, we're still talking about a guy who was walking 2% of the time and striking out 25.5% of the time, um, not making a whole lot of contact here. So, Yu Chang, in and of itself, is not a huge loss. Um, the issue, as you said, is that it, you know, forces. Hike Hernandez back to shortstop where he hasn't performed well. You know, I went into that in in quite a bit of detail in the piece, you know, first in the league in errors at the position, uh, last in terms of it's above average, you know, so not performing well there at all. Arroyo, on the other hand, has been a really good defender, but he hasn't hit worth a lick, and he's already been dealing with some injury stuff as well, so... It's just uh, it's a it's a very imperfect situation and I am a little confounded by people who don't understand why we long for guys like Jose Iglesias or or Elvis Andrews or whoever and, and Andrews is obviously like not a option anymore and, and who cares about him, but Jose Iglesias is just floating around. Like he's just he's available right now and the Red Sox could have him and the reason why you want a guy like that is just because of the defensive stability that they can bring to the position. So even if Iglesias is not a, you know, gold glove caliber defender at this point, you can go pick him up off the street right now. He can hold down shortstop and he can allow you to send in Manuel Valdez back to Worcester, play Kike every day at second base where he's comfortable and he's effective um, and, you know, put Arroyo on the bench like he should be, you know. That's ideally the role in which he is suited to. So the whole thing is uh, just pretty frustrating. How they're choosing to handle the injury, um, and you know the lack of urgency here for an up the middle defensive position.
1: Yeah, and I I think part of why I had started to be okay with Chang at short. We're going to talk about Jaron Duran a little bit, but it was, you know, if if Duran is, um, you know, going to be a viable major leaguer and possibly more than that, then it's okay that shortstop is a bit of a a black hole um, with the bat for the next month because you have improved at a different position and you've got um, Reese McGuire hitting over 350 again, which is incredible. This has now happened two years in a row. So, it's okay if shortstop is the one spot that, um, I know there's others, you know, the first base problem as well, but it, it, it's okay, you know, you, you're improving at one position and then you just kind of accept that they're not going to have a great bat at shortstop until the end of May. Uh, now it's it's into disaster situation. You talk about Iglesias, it's so weird to me how little interest he gets because you mentioned the glove. I mean, he hit... Albeit in Colorado, he hit 292 last year. He hit in 2021, he hit 259 in 114 games for the Angels. Then he went to Boston for 23 games and he hit 356. In 2020, the short season, in 39 games, he hit 373. So, and then the year before that, 2019, he hit 288. So, what's the problem here? I, I don't understand. He, he's not going to hit for power, but. Since the start of 2019, if you combine those four seasons, he's hitting two ninety one. I mean, two he he's got a 13% K rate if you average those four years, and he plays well defensively. What's the problem? Why is he not signed, and why wouldn't this be a consideration for Boston for somebody who was, a, you know, seemingly a great player teammate that year that they were in the playoffs where the the story was that he was not eligible for the playoffs because he got there after September 1st and he was on the top step as the number one fan instead I, I don't get yeah it. that's
0: what's confusing to me too like I've never heard anything negative about him personally or anything like that that would lead you to believe like that's a reason why they're not bringing him in at this point it just doesn't really make any sense to me and I agree with you that um you know had had the Chang injury not happened, it would have been okay. And it would have been tenable to ride the glove first Chang um, until these other guys get healthy and allow you to move Kike over to second base where he's more comfortable because of the Jaron Duran thing, like you said. But but now it just throws everything back into chaos again. And it's just chaos that this team can't afford because, as we're going to talk about later on in the episode, there are a whole host of other positions um, that you know need addressing. Uh, other problems on this team. Uh, I, I did have a question for you about the I, the idea of bringing up Edmanuel Valdez. Um, why do you think they didn't bring up uh, David Hamilton, who was also on the forty uh, man roster? Did you think he he was deserving of a look, or you know, if you had to choose between those two guys, would you have gone with Valdez in that situation?
1: I think the reason, I think that David Hamilton and Jaron Duran are both kind of, well, I'm not going to say they're similar players, right? They're at different kind of development levels, but they probably thought that there was a little bit of redundancy with those two players um, if they had both of them in the lineup, kind of like light hitting speed first type of guys, but at this point... I, I don't see how you can put Valdez out in the field again if he if he can't catch the ball. And he's made an error in all three games. Um, and I think there was another misplay that might have not been called an error. I think he's made possibly four errors in two and a half games that he's played. So I think that you have to. If they don't bring somebody in before the weekend, which, you know, sure, they got 36 hours to figure this out. I don't know. I, I think that that's the switch that you make. I I, know, I don't have Hamilton's numbers in front of me. I do know that he was hitting well over 300. He has double-digit steals after stealing 70 a year ago. Um, so I know that he's hitting well, well there. And he does not hit well uh, up in the zone. You know, I think you can get him out with fastballs up in the zone. But if he can field the ball and run a little bit and just, I don't know buy them some time to figure out who, who else they may or may not bring in um, at, at this point. I think that there's just too much of a liability defensively with Valdez, which worries—that's kind of been the book on him the whole time. So I'm kind of worried about that, that he's just a DH only uh, in general. But um, that's my only thought, is that it might have been redundant with Duran.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's a little bit different because I— um, personally, given the choice between Hamilton and um, Valdez, I would have done what the Red Sox did and, and chosen Valdez to come up. I just probably wouldn't have played him right away. Um, the thing that this tells me about Hamilton, who, by the way, is batting 319, 385, uh, 565 down at AAA. And he's cut his strikeout rate quite a bit this year. It's down to fifteen percent. It was twenty two percent last year. Um, He's having an excellent, excellent start to the year. But I mean, this is just an indictment to me about what the Red Sox think of David Hamilton. He was a guy who they went out and targeted. He came back in the Hunter Renfro trade. He's twenty five years old. He is doing extremely well at AAA. The fact that they weren't willing to bring him up really talks to me about how they see his defense. I don't think they believe he can actually play shortstop. Um, and I don't think they believe that the hitting that he's doing right now at AAA is real and will translate to the major leagues. Because one thing that I've heard said about uh, David Hamilton is that, you know, he's kind of got this longer swing, the swing of a, a bigger player, um, but he, you know, obviously is that speed type profile that you said. So one of the things that um, I think it was in, um, I think it was on the athletic Chad Jennings uh, published an interview with uh, farm director, Brian Abraham. And I think one of the things he, he said in that was that they were trying to work on like shortening his swing a little bit and making it more direct to the baseball, sort of like favoring that speed type profile, um, which makes sense. But I mean, it's clear to me this guy is still viewed as a project by the organization. And, you know, if, if you've got two guys on the 40-man, two guys who you targeted in trades, I'll be hit. You know, the Christian Vasquez trade for Valdez and, and the Renfro trade for Hamilton and you're not confident enough in either of these guys to really have them be fill-ins. Like, how good were those trade acquisitions? And why are they on the 40-man and why are they the only options?
1: Yeah, they, they don't have they don't have a shortstop on the major league team or at AAA that is uh, viable, even as a backup right now. Like, they don't have any. Kike is not that. We've already gone over that. He's doing his best. You know, I mean, he's made some very, very good plays, even though I know he's also made six errors and the range is limited. He's doing what he can because he's a really good athlete and a really good defensive player that can play all over. But they don't have a shortstop in the majors or at AAA. It's like they're waiting. <laughs> they're waiting for injured players to come back and Marcelo Meyer in a year and a half to two years. <laughs> this is just. This is the disaster that we were worried about that is now happening, and uh, I don't know. I don't know how they get out of this.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a weird situation. We'll see if they go outside the organization. I know that you've been clamoring for that, and I think it's it's probably the right idea. But, um, you know, we'll see because it is a shame uh, if they cannot uh, deal with this with the middle infield struggles because, I mean, you do need these guys to be effective for your pitchers. And, you know, I think this is a good spot to transition to Chris Sale here, who we Hinted at talking about last show But we kind of neglected to talk about Because we got a little bit sidetracked But Chris Sale just recently had his best start uh, Since 2019 Where he struck out 11 He looked like vintage Chris Sale You know, all three pitches were working for him His command looked pretty good Um, And then he followed that up With a clunker of a start Where he struck out 0 And he's had more bad starts than he has Good starts this year You've seen, I believe you've seen all of his starts this year so far, Bob. What have you been able to kind of pinpoint, um, you know, either analytically or just from the eye test about what is different between when Chris Sale has been good and when Chris Sale has been bad this year? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a bit perplexing
1: for sure. I think, like, if you look at the season as a whole – I mean, he's giving up a 429 batting average on his four seam fastball and a 389 batting average on his sinker. So his two fastballs, which he throws 53% of the time, is giving up an over 400 average, um, which is just brutal. You know, the slider is 231 and the changeup is 217. But in the previous game where he had struck out 11, um, You know, those, I think it was under 200 average for that specific game for the fastball. He was just locating that pitch a lot better, I thought. I thought that he was hitting the glove and um, had seemed like a little more velocity that game. And then I think it's partially that Baltimore really just owns him. They smoked him in the final game of spring training, and then the opening game. Um, on April 1st he gave up um, quite a few runs in that game and then it was the same thing in this most recent outing so they've seen him three times in the last month and it's almost like they just kind of either know what's coming or um, are jumping all over his fastball Um, yeah so he gave up five runs in five innings the other day and it was seven runs in three innings in the first outing. So he's given up 12 runs in eight innings against Baltimore. And I know that it was terrible in that last spring training game. So I think it's partially that I think Baltimore just sees him well, uh, for whatever reason. And, you know, in the Detroit game, that was one of the ones where he did not give up as much, um, uh, or as many hard hit balls, but in that game, he couldn't throw a strike in the first inning. That was when he came out throwing 91 and, had two walks right away and then kind of ended up figuring it out after that. But if you look at his stat cast numbers, the, there's a lot of blue, you know, the average exit velocity and the hard hit are both in the bottom 30%. The barrels are in the bottom 20% uh, in terms of what he's allowed. And there's no red, you know, his strikeout rate is pretty good. Even his walk rate is, is around 46%. So I don't know. It's, it's a concern. I, I think if, if his fastball is going to get absolutely ripped for 400 average, then <laughs> then you get a panic a little bit. You know, you can see you can see when he is on um, what happened in the 11 strikeout outing the time before, and I'm not saying that that can't happen, but there's just there's been too many clunkers, um, and might this take another month? And he's been been hurt for three four years and just trying to work his way out of it sure but it's five starts now so we gotta it's put up or shut up time
0: yeah i think a a lot of that is true um i'm not overly panicking yet about chris sale even though he's been pretty bad i mean any, any way you cut it you look at expected era that's been bad too it's over five um But what they say about guys coming back from Tommy John is that command is sort of the last thing to come for these guys. And uh, what I've liked is that he still had that telltale bite on on his slider. I mean, that pitch has looked really good. I do think, like you said, the command really shows up mostly with the fastball and the sinker. And when it shows up on those pitches... He's leaving meatballs middle-middle that are just getting absolutely hammered. Maybe Chris Sale needs to just get his command back. Maybe he needs to also um, realize that, you know, he's not he's not in his prime anymore. Uh, and maybe instead of throwing just straight four seams or sinkers, he needs to start throwing a cut fastball, you know, to complement his uh, slider and change up. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know how comfortable he is with that, but clearly the Red Sox and Chris Sale have to take a hard look at that. And if, you know, that's a pitch he needs to stay away from, you know, then he needs to adapt. Um, But I do do feel like, you know, if this is still happening, if we're still getting trick-or-treat Chris Sale by July, I'm going to start pushing the panic button a little bit more. I think the most important thing for him is just reps and going out there and throwing and figuring it out is as much as that sucks to see the guy get hammered sometimes um i'm still i would still take him for the rest of the season over i think any pitcher on the staff really yeah i think i would okay i mean what i'm assuming you would take whitlock over him yeah is that the only guy you'd take over sale at this point or or are you yeah probably yeah. because
1: okay. um i mean we need to we need to see it for a year from Bayo before you can like really buy in and it's uh i don't know i mean hulk ups and downs right and i'm not even convinced that they're going to keep him in the rotation i don't think they're going to take Corey kluber out of the rotation obviously he was great the other day but even before that i think with what they gave him and just bringing in a free agent starter um a a veteran starter that i think they were planning on having i think you got to give him at least till june i think same thing with sale i was going to say june 1st i just thought it was interesting you said till july because that might be 10 or 11 more starts and if he's uh, subpar in seven of those, I I don't know. I, th- I think it's a great point about adding a pitch, and I think about Madison Bumgarner and how he never evolved. He did not change one thing. He was so damn stubborn for years and just got designated for assignment. And you, his fastball velocity diminished year after year, and he continued to get smoked every time out for the last year or two, and he never did anything, he didn't change anything. So, you have to evolve, especially when you turn 34 and you're getting paid what you do, and um, yeah, I mean, they, they need him, they absolutely need him, that's not someone that they can really even consider taking out of the rotation, it's more of just a when do you when do you think that, that you should panic? I was gonna say June 1st, and you're thinking July, um but yeah adding some sort of wrinkle there to make people think about something else cuz it's not the fastball isn't working right now
0: yeah, I mean I've never pitched before so I can't speak to this but it just seems to make sense to me that if you are somebody who has really good feel for the slider that the cutter would probably not be that difficult of a pitch for you to transition to and there are plenty of guys in the league who use a cutter as their primary, you know, hard offering. Right. So I, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I. Again, if there's a, a few more starts
1: like this, you have to change something. You got to work on something yeah. between starts or you, you do a fake IL or you skip a start or something like that. And you just work on some bullpens and change some things around. I mean, he's a dynamic starting pitcher that has been for a long time. Um, he seems like he should be able to figure something. You you have to evolve in some way if this continues. Again, he had an 11 strikeout outing the time before, so it could be a Baltimore thing, and he comes back and does that again the next time out. Um, Yeah. But it's been three, I would say three out of five bad starts that he has had. And uh, the fourth one, he couldn't throw a strike in the first inning, and I know it was cold, and he kind of figured it out. So that one ended up being okay, but... It's really only one that you left kind of feeling that, that it was Sale, that it was Chris, vintage Chris Sale coming out of that one. A lot of us looked at that and said, yeah, that was it. It was yeah. whiffs and, uh, you know, good fastball location and all of that.
0: I'm not going to lie. I was really pumped after that start. Right. I was like, okay, here we go. Like three three starts to get the rust off, and then, then we've got Chris Sale back. So, um, you know, development... Uh, especially if you've been away from baseball. Developing back into what you were is not linear, of course. So, you know, I'm still hopeful here. I'm still cautiously optimistic with Chris Sale. Jaron Duran, though. This is a guy we touched on last week, and I referenced that I was uh, optimistic about him because of what Lou says uh, about his new swing. And... um man lou merloni might be pretty good at his job because (laughs) uh since then i mean jaron duran has been on a real hot streak he had a grand slam i mean he looks really good he's really confident uh do you think that this is his breakout happening and you know what do you think is the biggest change that jaron duran has showed you so far I I, I hesitate to say
1: breakout because I think he's just really hot right now, Um, but I'm looking at the StatCast stuff, and there's a lot that jumps off the page. I mean, start with the hard hit rate, 64%, which is crazy. This is a small sample. He's got 22 batted balls, but five of those 22 batted balls are barrels, which is 23%, and in the prior years, he was 4%, 7% the hardest he had ever hit a ball in the majors was 110.4 coming into the season and he already has a 111.6 so he's he's hit a ball by more than a mile an hour faster than he had in his entire career um he's upped his walk rate a little bit and i think that he's just gotten back to it's it, it's a swing that you mentioned kind of the another swing change but I don't think he's trying to hit for power. I think he's just trying to um, hit the ball into gaps and make something happen with his speed. I think that he already was a good player to have on the roster because of his speed with the new rules. Um, and then the most interesting thing that I saw this week was in the post game, And they asked him about what had changed. And instead of mentioning anything about on the field or um, anything with his swing or confidence or anything, he talked about his teammates. And he said, the biggest change, just my teammates being more uh, being more open to talking to guys and not feeling like I'm bothering them, and them being very open, like JT, Doogie, and Kike. So he's talking about Justin Turner. He n- names him first. He says, they're really helping me out and telling me to keep working hard, and even when I mess up, they're telling me it's baseball, it happens. Just having those guys backing me up feels really good. I mean, that's an indictment on the previous locker room it seems like it, it almost feels like he just didn't feel comfortable there last year and he's not the only person that said that um you know maybe that he couldn't talk to some of the veterans and um that that had something to do with his confidence i mean the, the way that he said that was that was where he went and you referenced justin turner first which is just really interesting um the kind of the first time i've thought about a difference in the clubhouse since it was brought up in the in the preseason.
0: Yeah, I I thought that was really interesting too, and and I I go kind of in between two two things when thinking about that. Like one one way to look at it negatively is that it comes off as a little bit whiny and a little bit like he's making some excuses about. Yeah you know, what he did last year because, like, you know, certain things that he did last year were absolutely inexcusable, like losing the ball and just not going after it was a horrible look for him. And, you know, maybe those veterans held him accountable for that and kind of took him to task and maybe undressed him a little bit for it and he didn't like it. Um, So maybe tough love is not the recipe for Jaron Duran and he reacts more to positivity and, you know, kike and 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 doogie and and jt certainly seem like those type of positive bubbly type dudes and if he responds to that that's great um i still would have liked to see him talk a little bit more about you know the baseball adjustments that he's made and just say that you know his current teammates are supportive rather than kind of you know, going back uh, when those guys are gone and can't defend themselves and talking about the people who were here before. So um, I didn't love that all that much. But uh, I don't know. I think he just he needs to let his play speak for itself. And he, he's one of these guys, I think, that did try and fall in love a little bit with that launch angle type stuff. And, you know, he doesn't need to do that. That's not the type of baseball player that he is. He's fast. He's athletic. He just needs to impact the baseball and wherever it goes on the field, he's going to make things happen as a result of that. So I'm glad he feels confident now, but um, you know, definitely didn't love the the comments there.
1: No, it was it was he, he could have left the previous year out of that when he said, "I don't feel like I'm bothering people." Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the part that sticks out. I I totally get what you're saying, and he's had we know that there's been maturity issues. You just look at that one play and just I think for a couple of years now that that has been in question Um, either publicly or you hear that but um, I also think that he's playing well defensively Um, I think that he's gotten a good jump on the balls that I've seen out there and considering that's another spot up the middle that we were concerned about and once Duvall got hurt we were more concerned about that you know if he can play a decent center field to go along with what we're seeing offensively um i don't know it's one less thing to worry about so you know i think he's made improvements across the board i mean he's older right always been kind of older for a prospect and the levels and he'll be 27 later in the season he's currently 26 um but this isn't shocking i mean we when shelly and i were doing the prospect pod we talked about duran probably in jeter downs the the two most uh out of everybody you know that we were really excited about duran and all the changes that he made and and the power that he had and he kind of just as you said, kind of fell in love with that a little bit too much and needed to get back to the prospect that he was coming up through single a double a which was uh hitting for a good average and stealing bases and you know not trying to be a 30 home run hitter because he's not that
0: Yeah. And he, he might have a season where he becomes comfortable enough and, you know, runs into 20 plus bombs and, and that's great, but you know, you're absolutely right. He's going to make his money on the base paths and, you know, setting the table. Um, and I agree, he has looked better in center field. So I hope that that continues, but one guy, I also want to give a shout out to, um, to kind of add to the positivity here with, uh, Duran is, is Alex Verdugo who's looked really, really good in right field. And, um, I did a little bit of research before coming on today's show, and I noticed that uh, Verdugo is second in outs above average in right field uh, this year so far, and, you know, it's it's clear that the, the weight loss or the, you know, added athleticism that he gained this past year have really helped his jumps and helped the athleticism in right field, and he's always had an exceptional arm from out there, so... You know, it's nice to see that he took that uh, to heart, in that he's playing an outfield worthy of, you know, right field at Fenway. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino's is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life.
1: No purchase necessary. BGW, avoid prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
0: This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more.
1: And now, get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com
0: slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply.
1: Yeah, in so obviously he has not played as well defensively this year in previous years. But for whatever reason, his outs above average in right field was always better than it was in left field. I couldn't make any sense of that, especially at Fenway. Um, yeah, even coming into the season historically he, he had played better there so I don't know I mean everything is a rocket off of <laughs> Verdugo's bat it seemed like for weeks now so um, you know yeah we haven't talked a ton about that because um, it's just been him kind of showing up and being a solid player day after day but he just hit so many balls hard even even his outs have been hit hard for a really long time now so let's hope that continues for six months, you know, he's he showed flashes of that, but he, he looks like a he's making the leap that Alex Cora wanted him to make this year.
0: Yeah, he sure does. Um, another guy who we wanted to make the leap this year was Brian Baio, and we still might see it, but surprisingly, Brian Baio was sent down to AAA right before the Baltimore series kicked off, and Cora uh, talked about how this had really nothing to do with his performance and everything to do with the situation that the bullpen was in and needing an extra uh, bullpen arm. So they did add Brennan Bernardino, a left-handed pitcher. He, he came up, he pitched a couple times in the series and actually looked pretty good both times, I thought. But what what was your take on the Bayo demotion here? Did you agree that it was kind of the necessary move to make? And um, are you worried at all about how this might impact him or is this just Going to be kind of water off a duck's back here, and Bayo will get right back on the horse.
1: Yeah, I didn't make a whole lot of it. I I don't, I mean, I credit Cora for just saying that this has everything to do with roster construction right now, and they need an extra bullpen arm, and I would point to Cora for why they needed an extra bullpen arm with how that had been managed for the weeks leading up to it, but that's a whole other story. I thought Bayo looked very good for four innings against Milwaukee on, I think it was Sunday, you know, we had recorded on Wednesday after that disaster, uh, the marathon game. Uh, I thought he looked a lot better, and and was rolling through four innings and kind of hit a wall in the fifth, which is something that happened decent amount last year. That you'd leave some of the Bayo outings, seeing those flashes and seeing certain innings where he just looked dominant, and then maybe in the fifth he would walk the bases loaded and come out, and then the runs would come in to score, and that's why a lot of his ERA and metrics and certain things were a lot, um, a little bit skewed. But I I think it was a roster um, crunch. And I think it's even possible that he doesn't go down for 15 days because if there is an IL move somewhere, he can get called back up in less than 15 days. So with the off day, maybe he misses a start and he's back sometime in between. And even if not, they have an off day every week throughout May. Um, so they can kind of play with that spot for two weeks and, you know, maybe he makes one start at triple a and comes back. And I, I think he will be part of the, even if it's down to five, I think he'll be part of that.
0: Yeah. I tend to agree with you. I'd be surprised if he missed more than that, but I think this gets to the discussion of, you know, who is that five going forward in the starting rotation. And I want to talk about Corey Kluber because he pitched okay yesterday. Um, you know, did, did fine against Baltimore. It was really the best start that he had all year, earned his first win. Um, but overall, he's not having a very good performance this year. And, um, you know, three guys on this staff, Whitlock, Sale, Kluber, all have is well over six so far in this young season. Um, you know, we, we talked about how we both have some confidence that with Whitlock and Sale, it'll get better, but I'm not sure we have that same confidence with Corey Kluber. So, you know, how long does he stick in this rotation, in your opinion, and does he finish the year here as a starter? I think that he's going to get more
1: of a leash than a lot of the other people that we've talked about just because, and I mentioned it earlier, but I just think the what they spent on him, that he's a veteran pitcher, I think in general that you need to to give those guys a little more of a leash or... I don't know. I don't think that free agents will want to come there if they're just going to pull the plug on them within a month or two if things aren't going well. they got to give him time to work that out. I don't think that the he has a 2.63 home runs per nine this year, which is outrageous. So, one, I don't think that that will continue. 17.9% home run to fly ball rate. Uh, in his career, he's at 11%. In his career, he's allowed less than one home run per nine. So it's like almost triple that. So I think um, that'll stabilize a little bit. I don't think he's that bad um, or as bad as he has been. I don't. I, I compared him to Rich Hill a week or two ago. I think that he'll be that. I think he'll probably throw 150 innings one way or another and have an ERA in the mid-fours when all is said and done, throw some really good outings like he did this week. And some really shitty outings some of the other weeks, and just end up as a mid-force pitcher. That, um, you know, maybe the whatever baseball they chose to use this year that seems like it's as juiced as it was in 2019 might not mesh with uh, Corey Kluber's um, stuff at this point in his career, and he's going to give up too many of those. But I think it's going to stabilize, and I would give him, I, I think he's at least got till July in the rotation, unless it is a complete disaster, right?
0: So. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, I think he's going to have an incredibly long leash to the point of really frustrating us, um, with him staying in the rotation, while other guys who are perhaps more deserving of staying in the rotation, uh, get bounced out. And I, you know, I do think that to some degree he deserves it as, uh, you know, with the resume that Corey Kluber has. But what what is a little frustrating about this Corey Kluber thing is he's literally the only starting pitcher that the Red Sox added this offseason. And, you know, the idea was to add somebody towards the top of the rotation so the other guys in the rotation could kind of fit into slots where they're more appropriate for, um, you know. But at this point, it looks like the Red Sox have an entire rotation of number four starters oh it, it is that <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i mean I,
1: it, their staff era is five point excuse me their entire team's era is 5.11 that is just and and the number they've given up the the most runs in the first inning um of any team in the league and they it's a miracle that they are 500 honestly with some of the 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 starts that these guys have had even from the first inning and some of the games they've come back and won um there's just so many nights you know if you're 10 minutes late to get to Fenway um that it's already three nothing four nothing in the first and that's incredibly frustrating
0: yeah it is um and to put that in perspective with the starters right now the Red Sox rank uh what is it uh I have it in front of me here it they rank 28th in team war uh with starters through uh, 120 innings pitched um negative 0.1 war nice the only teams that are worse are shockingly uh, one team is shocking and the other team is not the other team is the worst team in baseball oakland is 30th but would you guess who's below boston and it's a good team and it's a really good team hmm. toronto new york mets okay wow isn't that weird yeah that doesn't make much sense no, especially if, if we were to pull up the names Great. of the the Mets pitchers versus the Red Sox pitchers, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But, you know, for a positive spin, though, on on the pitching situation, the bullpen, as much as Cora has overworked it, and gosh, I mean, the bullpen right now is has thrown 100 innings. Um, the only team that's thrown more is the terrible Oakland is, 101.1%. Um, But the bullpen ranks 12th in all of baseball in terms of uh, war. So they've definitely been effective at uh, fixing that unit. I did see random stat
1: that I saw. Um, Don't ask me why I was watching an Oakland game. But they said that they had given up 10 or more runs in 9 of the 22 games, I think, so far this year. I mean, you have to be so deplorable to give up 10 plus runs in almost <laughs> half of your games.
0: That team uh, is absolutely shameful. Have you seen the things circulating about, uh, the, the lineup that Oakland could have if they just kept their guys?
1: No, but I believe it because every trade was just five for one, of a you know, get a bunch of nickels back in return, right?
0: Yeah. It's just, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's really sad what's happened to that franchise. Yeah. And, um, Jim Bowden wrote an article, uh, I think it was yesterday or today, um, about how he he believes this is the worst baseball team that he's ever seen in his life. And that is saying quite a bit, you know, because we think back to some of those horrendous Tigers teams before the Tigers got good and, you know, contended for a little while. and There's been some bad teams. You know, the Royals have been bad at times. It's uh, Pirates, I mean... It's a lot to say that that is the worst operation you've ever seen. Oh, yeah,
1: teams that have uh, tanked for four or five years, even what the Astros did um, before they you know, nailed every first-round pick for several years to get back in the mix. But uh, they're going to have games with less than 100 people there. you got a franchise that's moving and putting that product out there. Um, there are going to be games where they have like 80 people that are there. Their, their highest war hitter is Brent Rooker, who was a AAA cast-off. Then it's Carlos Perez, who I don't know who that is. Think of the Montreal pitcher. And then Ryan Noda, who was a Rule 5 guy. Um, and then, yeah, I've never heard of any of these pitchers either. And I feel like I yeah. watch a decent amount of baseball.
0: I'm not sure that team would have a winning record playing in the International League.
1: Yeah, that's fair. You know who their closer is? Your boy cool. from last year? Uh, Jerry's Familia. Oh, former God. Uh, Red Sox great from the 22 season.
0: Can you remind me again what his intro music is?
1: No, you're thinking of um, Hansel Robles.
0: Oh, God, Robles. Yeah, that's yeah, right.
1: That was The Undertaker, I believe.
0: Yes, okay. Yeah. I don't
1: know what Jerry's Familia's theme music was. <laughs> he was not. Uh, around long not enough memorable. for me to get, <laughs> commit that to
0: memory. I remember all him right. walking a lot of guys. All right, that was a tangent. Excuse me. Yes, no, that's that's good. Um, all right, so talking about pitching, though Paxton made another rehab appearance last night. Uh, he was not particularly sharp. Uh, here are the numbers. Uh, it was four in a third innings pitched. Four earned runs, five runs total, four walks, five strikeouts, uh, threw about half of his pitches for strikes. Command is still just the the biggest thing that is happening um, with him, and it was nice to see that, you know, in a starter's role, he certainly performed a whole hell of a lot better than seven earned runs in uh, two-thirds of an inning like he did the, the previous time. So clearly he's more comfortable starting, but, um, you know, any more confident from this uh, rehab appearance? Uh, it's They're reporting that he's going to make at least one other rehab appearance. But, you know, do you think the Red Sox can get anything from Paxton at this point?
1: No. And I came to that realization after yesterday that I that's, for some reason I'm, there's something in my head that has me convinced that he's one of seven. And then I asked myself, why does he have to be one of seven? Um, he hasn't pitched since 2019. Um, he has been awful on his most recent start. He was awful on his most recent relief outing. They're paying him $4 million to take a flyer and see if they have something. I don't think they have anything. So you can call him up and you can make him the long man in the pen for... A month and see if there's anything going on but you can't put him in the rotation and tell your fans that he's one of your five best starters it's just he's not so they can see what they have because they need arms and we're talking about bren Bernardino and um i don't know cable caleb ort who's at eight and ryan brazier who's at eight i don't care if they just see if this works um for a month but it's four million and it's not working, so I don't want to see him in the rotation, I know that much.
0: Yeah, I ultimately think that um, they will try him there, because I, I think him as a reliever is just going to be a nightmare. Yeah, um probably will. But I, I'm not expecting anything um, from from Paxton. I, I hope I'm wrong, uh, because in the past, you know, as oft-injured as Paxton has been, he's been one of those guys that when he comes back, he actually performs really well, usually. I mean, he's... Yeah. He's he's bounced back and and been good. Um but you know, we'll see if Big Maple has anything left. <laughs> no, it's it's
1: not impossible. I'm not ruling that out, but I I don't know how you can look at what he's done and say, "All yeah, right, there's a spot waiting for you on a 500 team that has enough problems." Yeah.
0: Yeah. We shall see. Well, uh Masa, Masataki Yoshida has been on an absolute tear uh since we last spoke. Um since he, he heard that insult that you threw at him, Bob, when you called him <laughs> Rusni Yoshida. Um, but uh, yeah, Rusni Yoshida here has been uh, proving that he's worth the money because over his last six games, not including tonight's or today's game, he was batting 500, 519, 792 with two home runs. And then he hit another home run today. Um, he's been just crushing the ball. Um, And then he made just a sick grab in left field today as well. So he's been doing everything that he possibly can. He's raised his batting average up. It's over 280 at this point now. Um, Everything's normalizing for him. I'm taking a mini victory lap on Yoshi here um, because I just feel like the guy can hit um, and certainly pass the eye test in the WBC and even when he was performing really poorly, like, he wasn't striking out a lot, he was just, he was having issues with ground balls, so are you, uh, taking back your Rusni Yoshida words at this point, or are you still skeptical? Yeah,
1: so, um, I mostly said that last week to try to get a rise out of you, because I knew that Yoshida was your boy, and I was trying to just kind of get something going there, and, uh, I think that you just were kind of concerned about Heim bloom screwing up again <laughs> briefly. Um, yes, I was. Now, I of course hated that, you know, he's taken high and away pitches and he's uh, you know, topping all of them to second base for those weeks. Um and I still have not concerns, but I I want to see him hit good velocity. I want to see him hit a good fastball. The two home runs that he hit against Milwaukee if you watch those pitches, they were both on a platter. They were both curveballs from bad relief pitchers that were up in the zone, um, right in his wheelhouse, and he, you know, to his credit, crushed both of them. Um, but you know, when I've seen him struggle, it's been against good fastballs, and I just want to see him hit, you know, do well against that pitch consistently. Uh, see him hit some some good pitchers that are on some better teams before i'm completely bought in um but this is a great sign and and as you said doing well defensively um yeah so much can change in seven days you know i wasn't truly writing him off but i hated what i had seen for the first three weeks but of course it's going to take time coming over to a new league adjusting to major league pitching um you know, I think that we saw a lot that he did in the World Baseball Classic and had a couple of good games against better pitchers. But a lot of the um, WBC pitching is uh, AAA quality or people that used to be in the league uh, on some of those teams that he was playing well against. So it's, uh, I, I want to see a little bit more, but it's certainly encouraging.
0: Yeah, I think that's all fair. Um, we definitely need to see it more consistent against good Velo. But, you know, that's something that. Um, one of the reasons why the Red Sox were so confident about giving him that contract is because he did succeed on fastballs uh, over 95 miles an hour when he was over in Japan, and obviously, you know, you're not facing as many of those high velo guys. And as we've talked about on this show a number of times, not all 95-plus mile an hour fastballs are created equal. You know, some of them come in real flat, um, and others. Have crazy movement, so yep. uh, the major league version of '98 is certainly different than what he was used to. Um, but I do think he'll adjust. He does have that skill set, and hopefully, he can uh, he can prove prove Bloom to be smart in that signing there at least. Um, but there are a few other guys on this roster that uh, you know I think we need to talk about here as. Uh, little bit of a, a worry we we hit on arroyo and hernandez before so i'm not going to drive that into the ground but the other guy who really isn't you know certainly isn't even hitting his weight at this point uh is tristan casas who's just struggled mightily um i wanted to see get your kind of pulse on where you're at with those three guys casas arroyo and hernandez Are you more worried about one of them than the other? Um, Because I think, personally speaking, I'm more worried about Casas than either of those other two. Because I kind of know that Arroyo is best in a part-time role. Hernandez, I know we're going to see some flashes even if he's not a great hitter. But to me, Casas just looks really lost right now. And almost like he doesn't believe he belongs No, and
1: I think when you start to see him take these called thirds, which I've seen four times in the last week, he takes a called third and he's going to first as if it's a walk. And it's not even close to a ball. And I don't know if he's even blaming the umpire. I think that he's up there looking for a walk against some of the better pitchers because he thinks that's his best chance of getting on base. Um, He did hit a mammoth home run in Baltimore, which was a good sign, Um, but I think that when kind of your best quality is that you're good at taking a walk, and he's got 14 of them, that's great, but he's got 25 strikeouts, uh, which leads the team. Um, Yeah, I, I think we know what Arroyo's role should be. I think that he will eventually kind of start hitting a little bit better, and Enrique He's up to 220, and he was under 100 like a couple weeks in. So he's got to be hitting over 300 in the last two weeks to get to that point. So I think he's been a lot better and um, starting to pull the ball and, and hit the ball a lot harder. So I think the obvious answer is Cassis. And I just, yeah, he looks lost, and he's looking at the umpires and um, like trying to get bailed out. And I don't know. I don't know. That's another spot that, you know, Dahlbeck is, we know, who he is and chang was a backup at first base as well so you're down to casas and turner because there isn't a whole lot of triple a i know that fitzgerald is up over 300 and he's 28 29 years old now i mean there are not a whole lot of options other than dahlbeck and and we know who bobby dahlbeck is so i don't know casas has to figure it out or he might be down at triple a soon
0: yeah i i, I can share those concerns one of the um things that jen mccaffrey made a good point about in a recent post and i think it's worth remembering is just how much time the red Sox gave to dahlbeck um before they actually pulled the plug on that experiment and how much time um they gave to michael chavis previous to that so i think that he's gonna get a whole heck of a lot of leash if not because there are, just aren't any other better options yeah. really at this point. And, you know, I think he deserves the leash to try and figure it out. But the, the guy's got a tremendous amount of work to do. And, you know, it wouldn't be the first time we saw a guy struggle right off the bat. I mean, little little uh, second baseman who uh, ended up being basically the best second baseman in the history of the Red Sox. Dustin Pedroia got off to a pretty bad start too. So, um, not saying he's going to turn into Petey, but hopefully there's some better performance in his future.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with that. I don't, I don't, I'm not giving up on it, but I think in the last week there's, I don't know, just looking at even facial expressions, you know, I, I feel like he's he's lacking confidence at the moment.
0: Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree with that. Um, Let's end the show here on a positive note, Bob. Um, Kenley Jansen for the Boston Red Sox has been just exceptional. Like, I don't even have words for it. He has been way better than I thought was possible. Um, He's really turned back the clock here. I mean, his fastball velocity has been you know, consistently above 95, it's 95.8 on average, but we've seen him putting up 97. And I really don't know what to make of that because in his whole career, he's never averaged anything close to what he's doing right now with the fastball. No idea what this guy did for a workout in the off season, but um, it's filthy. His cutter is absolutely filthy right now. I mean, averaging 95 miles an hour. And looking at his numbers, um, he's just completely turned back the clock. So 31% K-walk rate, that would be the best that he's put up since 2017 when he was with L.A. in his prime. Um, You know, the FIP here, 1.24. That is actually the best FIP that he's ever had in his career. Um, He's dominating right now. And uh, we were all a little bit concerned with you know, the the pitch clock with him and how he would adjust that. And, uh, you know, Kenley, he looks like the best signing uh, that anybody made in the bullpen this past offseason. And so my question to you, Bob, is how many closers in baseball at this point with how Kenley is pitching would you actually take over him at this point? Two.
1: I mean, with this version of Kenley. Coming into the season, probably six, but right now, two. I would say Class A in Cleveland um, and Hader in San Diego, who I know had a, one of the worst months in history last year for about six weeks. His ERA was like over 20, but he kind of figured out his arm slot and has been really good since, and he's been Josh Hader since that point. Um, yeah, those are the only two that I could really say right now that I would be most confident um you know there's a lot of other ones that are in the running but i think back to the we did a show in right around free agent time of who we wanted the red Sox to sign and we were all coming in like with this unanimous kenley jansen um, <laughs> i remember that was show the, yeah the best fit for the team um you know after whatever happens at shortstop of course and we were all looking. At, oh, you know, that cutter is really good. He's still throwing really hard, and um, just talked us in ourselves into him pitching into his late thirties. And he's signed next year too, which is, at, at the time, was like well, they needed to go two years. Now I'm really glad if this is the pitcher that that he's going to be. You know, hopefully for the rest of the season that they do have him locked up for next season as well, because he's yeah he's just been excellent. Um, just so much movement on that cut fastball.
0: Yeah, it's an amazing pitch, um, and he's just been so lights out. So I've absolutely loved having him on the team. Yeah. Um, that's been my, my favorite part of this year has been Kenley Jansen uh, being able to lock down games. So there's, there's really few things more exciting to me because um, pitching is my favorite part of baseball, always has been. Um, and, you know, that lockdown closer who just really has it, that Bond, that Koji... That type of guy, um, it's just such a luxury in the bullpen. Getting back to my own question, I think there are only two guys I would also consider um, above Kenley at this point. Uh, One would be Josh Hader, as you said, because he just looks incredible again this year. He's leading the league in saves with eight. But um, Felix Bautista, who I keep seeing Mm. with Baltimore, I really, really like his stuff. Like... It is some of the best stuff. I do think he's a little bit more hittable than Kenley Jansen. I think he can make mistakes and, you know, you can go yard on him. But, like, holy shit, that guy's a unit. Like, he, if he was born in America, Bautista would be, like, being drafted tomorrow night on, you know, for the NFL draft. <laughs> that dude is, he is enormous
1: and nobody puts the ball in play off of it so he has the um 100 percentile whiff rate k rate fastball velocity and he's huge he's 6'8 285 that must be terrifying and they've got a a clone of him who's setting up now who is not allowed a base runner the entire year and his name is escaping me
0: (laughs) is it cano yes yeah 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 he he, um he hit jt in the the elbow Uh, with a fastball today, and JT was, like, freaking out even with the pad on. But, yeah, because the
1: the pitch is uh, set up in the the middle of the zone, and it's running in on everybody's hands. Um, And then one was bound to hit somebody. I think that was the first base runner he allowed the entire season. So if they are going to be throwing those two guys um, in the the back of the bullpen, then these games are going to be over early and need to take care of – baltimore before the seventh or eighth because those guys are uh, terrifying as a right-handed hitter to hit against
0: yeah six eight two eighty-five 285 is not a baseball player no. and, <laughs> by the way um his fan graphs numbers are way off what his official mlb numbers are i'm looking at the thing it says 65190 this must have been like when he was 13 or something <laughs> what what <laughs> Yeah, it's what it says, but he is not that. He's clearly, no. uh, like what you said, because I just looked it up too. Six. He's definitely six what eight. A, what a terrible um, error! Yeah, he he definitely could be a defensive end. Yes, let's just say that. Yeah. uh and he he looks ferocious. And you know, I always worry for uh, Adley Rutchman at the end of games when he goes up and he hugs him every time. I'm yeah. like, all right, just. Please don't hurt Adley. I want to continue to watch him play baseball. Don't just bear hug him into oblivion. Well,
1: Adley is uh, doing one hell of a job. If you look at the record that they have and uh, what he's done with the pitching staff since he's been called up, it's a, another
0: story for another day. But um, sure is. Yep. Yeah, the Orioles have been quite the surprise, and uh, you know, nobody uh, called that, uh, Jake. Yeah, nobody called that. Def- definitely nobody on this show. Mm-hmm. But I have to give you props, Bob, for uh, being the only one of us on this show to predict that Ray is uh, first-place finish. And, uh, man, it sure looks like it's going to be very difficult for anybody to catch the Rays in the AL East this year with their they So uh, I guess we yeah. both got something right. Well, we so. were going to have uh... –
1: keaton was on i'm sure we would have gone down the orioles versus yankees road but we'll
0: save that for another week yeah i can't let him uh, no. dodge that shame no. so we'll we'll have to have to do that next week yep um thank you all for listening to us if you would like to send in questions you can do so on twitter or you can do so at redseatpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com we 'd love to get some questions for you you've you guys have been really great about sending in stuff there so please continue to do that we didn't get to any listener questions today but we'll definitely do that next week um, you know uh, you can find us on Twitter you can find Bob at Baba's good or yeah good 15 uh, you can find me at, at dev Jake and uh, if you'd like to go to the site you can find over the monster at over the monster as well and uh, we'll be in your eardrums next week at this same time